Oh dear. Welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, where we discuss all things app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I chat with Taylor Desson, who is probably the coolest software dev recruiter you could ever meet. We talk about how to get hired, especially if you have zero experience, how to craft your CV, how to interview well, take-home tech tasks, and much, much more. So we're back. Coffee and Coding Season 2 is finally here. Now, I know it's been a long time since Season 1, I think almost six months as you're listening to this, and I know the show kind of just dropped off. So if you were worried the show was dead, then apologies. Season 2 was always in the plans. And do I have a great Season 2 lined up for you? But before we get into Season 2 officially, just a little bit of housekeeping. So firstly, thank you to everyone who donated in the, between the hiatus of the last episode and this episode via coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate. Thank you very much for those coffee donations. They were hugely, hugely appreciated. I specifically want to shout out Noah Labhart, who bought five coffees. Canadian Chris, who bought five coffee, who bought five copies. Oh, I can't, I can't say coffee. At Escar, who bought 10 coffees, really, really appreciate it. And to the Banana Bandit, great name, who also bought five coffees, really, really appreciate it. And if anybody does want to donate to the show, coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate, and you can find the links there. I also want to mention, if you're new to the show and not already in the Coffee Encoding Slack, make sure you sign up at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash Slack so you can chat to me and other like-minded listeners of the show. And if you're not subbed to the YouTube channel, this season I'll be posting exclusive content there as well, as well as clips from these shows with video and even some full uncut episodes. And finally, as an extra to this show, I'll be running a series of CV workshops. This will all make sense once you've listened to the episode. And that's resumes if you're listening in the States. This month, where I'll be talking through what I look for when I'm hiring, and I'll be picking members out of the room to help them build their CVs live. So if you want to register for that, you can register at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash CV workshop. Tickets for that will be $20, but the first 100 signups will get their ticket for just $5. So if you're interested in pimping your CV, or if you're a new dev and you need to write one from scratch, then you can register now at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash CV workshop. And with that being said, now onto the show. So before we get into like recruitment and all of this kind of stuff, right, just for the listeners, kind of, can you give us a brief bio of outside of your, I think it's fair to call it your day job, like who is Taylor? Yeah, I love that. Outside of my day job, who's Taylor? So Taylor is a father of an 18 month old, um, a husband to an amazing wife uh, um, who's super talented. Um, and we just had our five-year wedding anniversary. So yeah, father, dad, I um, play ice hockey. Um, when the little, fr- the, you know, the, when, when I have some free time. Um, and then I, uh, I, I, I honestly, like, I hate to be this person. I just love work. Um, I love, I love what I do. Um, I love putting out content to help people. So I would say I have a passion for content specifically, um, outside of being a father married and hockey. I would, I say, I would say I have a passion for creating content to help people in the job search. Okay, cool. All right. I think that's fair. I, f- I figured it would be a hard question to answer because I feel like you can't put out as much good content as you do and not like doing it. And then it, yeah. and then it kind of blurs the line of like what's work and what's not work and stuff yeah. like that. I get it. I get yeah. it. Okay, cool. 
Um, all right, so so I found you through Twitter, right? And um, you post. Someone must have retweeted something that was in my feed, and I don't remember what it was because it was a while back now. But I remember. It's funny thinking, how oh, that works. Yeah, I just remember seeing it, and I was like, "Oh, this guy, this guy gets it, right?" Because a lot of, I mean, I speak to recruiters a lot because I get phone calls, I get emails, and it's always like I had a guy that rung me up today, and he's like, "Oh, Rob, you know, I can see my colleague spoke to you three months ago. You were at so and so company. Like, are, are you still doing that?" And I was like, "No." I've left that company. I'm doing something else. And then he was like, oh, okay, cool. So how's it going at so-and-so company that I'm not there anymore? And I was like, maybe you obviously just didn't listen to anything that I said. Active listening's tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially you ask someone a question and they're like, no. And then you just carry on as if they said yes. It's just like, mate, this, that's not how it's supposed to go. But my, this is all like a ramble leading up to the question. Well, how, how would you like to see yourself in terms of what separates you from other recruiters? Because I definitely get it, but I feel like you should better explain it for yourself. I appreciate that. I, I think what separates me from other recruiters is I'm trying to take like the least salesy approach possible. I'm really trying to build relationships with people the human way and treat everybody the way I would want to be treated, right? So like, you know, the job search is terrifying. It's crippling. People don't know where to go. And then, and then, and then like, and people are already nervous. And then you have all these recruiters calling you and it's just, it's just a lot. And so for me, I'm like, hey, so what I do is I try to put out content to where people can find me organically through social media channels. So they can be like, oh, you know, this this actually is like really refreshing. Like I can consume, it just sounds weird, but I can consume Taylor and Taylor's content the way I want to when I want to. And then if I'm interested in working with him on a hiring capacity or job seeker capacity, I can reach out when I'm ready instead of me constantly badgering you to work with. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. That makes sense. And I, and I was going to say, I feel like you do like it's, it's weird. So I, so I listen to your podcast, right? Not religiously. So excuse me if I didn't listen to the last no, one, but I, I've been just like a bunch of them in, in a row as soon as I found it. And it's kind of weird to be like, oh, I listen to a podcast by a recruiter who talks about essentially stuff related to recruitment. Cause it sounds like that should be boring. And if I'm not looking for a job, which I'm not, then I shouldn't be listening. But the content is in a way that it's like, it's, it's cool to listen to. It's like, all right, this gives me ideas. And yeah, for sure. If I was, if I was looking for a role, I like the first person that I would message would be like you. And if I, if we hadn't spoken right now, it'd be like, Hey, I've listened to your podcast. You know, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 So yeah, again, I mean, and that's kind of the way it is. And I've realized too, like I've become fascinated with how social media drives conversation. And, and, you know, if, if you're listening to this, you're probably like, yeah, you're not kidding, Taylor, duh. But like, you know, what I've realized that like, you know, my wife and I, you know, hang, you know, hang out, you know, eat dinner together. And my wife's like, you know, have you seen, do you see this Instagram post? Or, you know, I talk about it. Do you see this TikTok post? Like, it's hilarious. Like, like, I've really picked up on the nuances of like how much social media drives our conversations. And so for me, that's where putting out content and like trying to get people like I, this, this sounds weird, but like, I want to be that per, I, I want to be like a part of your dinner table conversations and be like, yo, did you see what Taylor put this Taylor from Nashville, Tennessee put out about how like you should navigate the job search like, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be like in your emails, your DMs, like really annoying you. No, I got you. You know, that's definitely the right approach because at least I, I could tell you for a fact from all the recruiters that I've spoken to. And like I said, I think right now it's probably like 10 years that I've only done freelance mm. work. So that's a lot of recruiters. A lot of recruiters. I, only, I only remember one person's name 
and like who they are and what company they work for. And the only reason I remember that is because they grew up in the same place that I grew up. So it isn't even because they were particularly a good recruiter, right? So, so, but w- whereas like with you, it would be like, well, people would recognize you not because you tried to pitch them on this thing. So, so I think that's, right. that's a great avenue to take. But I also wanted to ask, you have the podcast, which I've been listening to, and I'll link to it in the show notes because if people are, are just looking for, um, either ideas about interviews or like CVs or, you know, if, if you oh. just want to, if you're looking for your next job or whatever it is, definitely useful information. But your podcast is essentially a live stream. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So, so, so the podcast is essentially just an audio version of my live stream. Remember, I really put a lot of emphasis on my live show. And the reason for the live show is because um, when COVID hit in March, 2020, um, I was talking to engineers across the country that were scared all had the same concerns and I was just kind of repeating my conversations and I was working like at that time, cause everyone was getting laid off. I was working 14, 16 hour days. I mean, I was, I would literally get up at like 6am, lock myself in my room. My wife can attest to it. And then like basically like maybe eat dinner and work until nine o'clock that night. I mean, it was, it was grueling. And so I was like, there's gotta be a way where I could give people access to me at scale, when I say at scale, like the recruiting industry is, is not scalable, right? So the way we're taught in the recruiting industry is like, hey, Rob, let's go to lunch. I go to lunch with you. I spend an hour with you, sometimes longer. And then it's like, that's one connection. Then it's like, after Rob's lunch, I'm going to go have a coffee with so-and-so. And that's what my days were for like seven years. And it's like, yeah, like after seven years, it eventually scales. But then... I was like, I need to put gasoline on what I do somehow. And so I was like, why don't I just go live and just literally talk like ramble and maybe somebody will find me. And that kind of, that, that went really well and it kind of escalated and now, and now it's a thing. So every morning I have a guest now in the tech space, we talk about, I mean, today's, today's conversation was about vulnerability in the workplace. I mean, we don't talk hiring strategies all the time. But it's it's a really a place for people to one come together and network because I t- I encourage people to comment if they are watching so they can be discoverable to others so they can potentially find a job because of it and then I also want to create a place to talk about topics that no one's talking about right no one's talking about how to hire better publicly no one's talking about how to use a recruiter publicly and so. The live show um, is kind of where it's at every morning, 9.30 a.m. Central. And then that gets obviously pushed to audio form via my podcast. Yeah. So people that, like I said, I listen to it. People that listen, definitely go and check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, And we're probably going to dig into some of the topics that you've covered in there today. So when I do the podcast, right, I kind of try and lay out like, what do I want the end? I say user because I'm an app developer, but you know, the listener to get out of it. Like they're going to listen to this and I want them to go away and be like, I heard a podcast and I want them to be able to explain it was about this. I don't want them to say, oh, I heard a podcast with Rob. He spoke to some recruiter guy and they spoke about recruitment stuff. Like that's, that's not useful. To, like that's not selling it to me. Right. Um, and when I was, when I was trying to figure out this, I was like, well, I get asked a lot of questions about, and we'll, we'll dig into some of the topics, questions around like, um, you know, I'm a self-taught developer, like, how do I have to, like, how do I get a role? What do I need to do to get, like, what do I need to know to get a role? I get sent, I, I've I've done like a CV reviews as part of like the like side bits of this show where people have sent me their CVs and I'm like, in the US resume, if people are not familiar. And I'm like, your CV is, is horrible. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, but I've been on hiring teams where I'm hiring for people that I'm going to work with and you wouldn't even get a first glance because 
you're super talented and your CV does not say that you're super talented. So all these kind of questions. And that's kind of what I wanted to dig into here. But before before we kind of get into that, some of the things that I get asked frequently, and, I, and I've heard you talk about some of this stuff on your show, that's kind of why I wanted to, to pick your brains on it, is, is to that point, and somebody asked me on Twitter today as well, I don't have a quote-unquote professional qualification, right? I've, I've learned whatever it is, iOS, Android, web, just from, you know, Google and YouTube. And I'm pretty good at it, but I don't have anything to say that I'm good at it. Like, how do I go about um, kind of, I, I, I suppose not getting a job, but necessarily get, like, what do I do to get my foot in the door? You know, how do I put together a CV or what are the steps? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, that's, listen, I, I think with the great resignation, kind of what we're talking about, everybody moving to a new job, I think, I mean, I just had a, a pastor of a church message me yesterday and was like, I think it's time. I want to get into software development. What can I do? So I get this question a lot. So I'm glad you asked it. But I mean, for me, I think if you're transitioning from one industry to a next, I would try to identify a problem in your current industry and develop your own app to solve that problem. So like, for example, right? So this pastor who messaged me, right? So like I grew up in the church, like, so I mean, I can kind of speak to it kind of briefly, but like, like let's, let's say tithing, for example, right? Like where does the money go? Like, how do you keep track of it? It's probably by Excel docs and or like just pen and paper. And it's like, for me, if I was a developer and I was a pastor, what better thing to do than like maybe develop a app and a virtual dashboard in JavaScript where you can kind of keep track of all the tithing and offerings, right? So it's like, you know, that's my recommendation, right? A lot of people in Nashville are in music and they want to move into software, like, hey, what's what's one of the issues in the music industry that you have, right? Touring and booking is always a problem. And I mean, I I I did touring for ten years. I, I did music. Like, I understand. That's why I moved to Nashville to do music. So, like, I understand that, like, the the art of booking and like following up with you know managers or um, people at bars to make sure you're still good to play. Because we've shown up sometimes, and you're supposed to play that night, and no one wrote it down and they've already overscheduled, right? So, you know, you could develop essentially almost like a Calendly app where you can like, it sends automated emails to check in with the venues before you leave the tour. So I think that's what I would do is I would really like know your industry that you're in and develop a app to get experience. And then, so, so then you can walk through that with a potential employer. Yeah. Yeah, so so totally agree, and and just just for my own clarity, and you can tell me if this is right or wrong, because I always tell people if you don't have experience, you know, quote unquote experience, you just you build por- portfolio, right? That's your experience. Essentially, experience is portfolio that you built for someone else, so it's the same thing. But and I like your idea about you know focus on the thing you know because people definitely find it hard to like, oh, what am I gonna what am I gonna build? But what you're saying is essentially build portfolio, and this is a great way to do it. But we're not talking about you need to build an app that's going to be successful, right? Like you could have zero users and it still counts as like, I built this thing and I can walk someone through how to do it. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I mean, you don't have to, I mean, so with, with, with my morning show, I interview a lot of hiring managers and, and, and the biggest thing I hear, especially around junior developers is they all view junior developers the same, AKA they don't know much. And that's not negative. It just, it is what it is. Let's just be honest. So then what do they look for? They look for communication skills. And the biggest issue I consistently hear from hiring managers is junior developers cannot walk through the app they built and say why they did what they did. And so that's that's what I would say is like, you know, statement, I built this app because of this. Here's what I used 
you know, I used React hooks because it's quicker because I needed it to render on this page faster because of this type thing. So we'll get right back to the show. But first, I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this episode, if you feel it's bringing you value, then it would mean a lot to me if you shared it with a friend or fellow developer. That's it. Just hit the share button in your podcast app of choice and you know what to do. Now back to the show. And then I quickly wanted to get a, a, an opinion on this because I have my own thoughts, but I wanted to get yours, right? So in software engineering, you you can be, I mean, in every industry, but I feel like software engineering is really big where you can be permanent or you can be freelance, right? And I feel like a lot of people, especially since COVID, are looking to make a switch to freelance because they think it's, um, you know, it's, it's more flexible or, you know, wh- whatever the reason may be. And I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts in terms of, pros and cons and like how if somebody came to you and they weren't sure like how how would you kind of help them make that decision because I'm totally biased I would be like just go freelance like what are you doing but that's that's my bias right that's not that's not reason yeah it's definitely it's not for everybody um I would say uh, let's see here so I would say for me if you want to go freelance you really need to be good at networking or a people person or somewhat of an extrovert or involved in the community you see what i'm saying like kind of that that trend like you you have to put yourself out there and now i think now i i want to break this down a little bit more right so you said direct salaried and freelance i think there's a middle ground for people and that's contracting through recruiting companies so um freelancing in my mind is your 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 own thing, right? Your LLC, 1099, whatever. You have to go get the business. You have to price out the business. You have to do everything. You have to sell. You have to market. You have to do everything. So like if you want to go full freelance, what does it give you? You're your own boss. You get to, you know, Rob can come work with me in Nashville and support his clients. Rob, where, 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 where are you located? I'm located uh, north. I'm going to say north of London because nowhere else outside of this country is going to know anywhere except for London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Rob being, Rob's in north, north of London, area north of London right now. Rob can come work with me in Nashville and support his London clients. And, and that's the benefit of freelance. But if you're like, well, that terrifies me, Taylor, like having to go after my own business, like having to meet people, having to network, having to do the business side, I think there's a middle ground. And that's contracting through recruiting companies. Now, I I think it's the same overseas, Um, but you can be a W-2 employee of a recruiting company and they can put you on a project for three, six, nine, 12, 18 months. Um, And and what you are is you get paid bi-monthly you usually, or you usually get paid on the same pay scale that the internal people do at that recruiting company. And, and then you get to basically have a little bit of a protection, right? The recruiting company is technically protecting you. They're, they're paying your salary, which is just hourly. And then most recruiting companies have benefits. So you have the option to get benefits if that's important to you. And you can do it that way. Um, again, is it for everybody? no. There's a little bit of risk involved. However, you get paid a little bit more typically. Um, but then again, there's nothing wrong with the direct hire salary. Like if you, you love the stability, you and here's the deal. I know a lot of people that get away from freelancing and contracting because they're so tired of just like working on an app and then leaving once it's deployed. They want to see it through. They want to make enhancements. They want to make edits to it. And so there's a lot of freelancing contracting people with recruiting companies that bounce back to direct hire salaried so they can like 
be really in depth with the product. And so I think you need to ask yourself, I think at the end of the day, you need to ask yourself who you are as a person and, and the why behind it, right? I talk about the why so much in the job search. I, I, so if Rob, you came to me, and you're like, Hey, should I do freelance? I go, well, why do you want to do? And then if you can't answer it, I'm gonna be like, come back to me when you can answer that. Right. Because that, cause, cause if you don't know your why and you go out and try to freelance, you're going to fail and, and, and you're going to be incredibly unhappy. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I feel like yeah, that's, that's also a great answer. Okay, cool. Um, and then I want to get into a bit more of like in depth, you know, like this is the job search. This is kind of how you run through it. But I have one other question before we get there, which is, um, in terms of pricing yourself, right? So, you know, so, so, so what you mentioned in the UK, freelance is a bad term on my part, because in the UK, essentially I'm a contractor, right? And it works slightly different than I think in the US. So I have my own company and I work through my own company and I made it like the recruiter is the middleman and my company has a direct contract with whoever the client is. Um, and that's kind of how it works. And then obviously to your point, freelancing in the traditional sense is exactly what you said. I have my own company. I have to go and pitch people. I have to go and price it and all that kind of stuff. But just in the traditional job search, um, and I see this in this country and I, I think it's the same everywhere, which is regardless of whether you're contracting or whether you are looking to be an employee, people find it really hard to put a price on what they're worth, especially when somebody like they're looking for a job and somebody comes with an offer that's, you know, not what they were looking for, but they don't really, they don't really feel comfortable enough to be like, you know, I'm worth, you know, two times that or whatever it may be. So how, how do people go about like figuring out this is, this is what I'm worth and kind of being comfortable with that? So the main two ways are research and recruiters. So you definitely need to go through, um, go, uh, you know, Google salary.com. Um, that's just the one that pops up. Like you need to research what, what your role is and take some, take some notes. That's where I would start. Then what I would do is I would call recruiters in your area and I would just ask them, be like, listen, I need you to be brutally honest with me. I have five years of experience in overall software development. My main skill sets react. Um, I've worked with react for three years. I've deployed to an enterprise environment. How much, how, how much range? The key thing is range. People want like one number and the job search is so subjective. Like you need a range. Like I got this question, um, the, uh, I shout out Scrimba. I think they're in London as well. The Scrimba community, developer community. Um, you know, I got asked this question, like, how do you negotiate salaries? And it's like, you need to ask for the range. Right. HR at companies are very, very careful to not give out specific data points because they know and I know the individual is going to get locked into that one number. And so I would call these recruiters in your area and be like, hey, what's the range I could like minimum and then like maybe the top end. And I think if you do those two things, I think you'll be able to to figure out your price and, and kind of where you're at very, very organically. Um, without having it to be awkward. Yeah, that makes sense. And I definitely, yeah, I, I agree with not fixing on the number as well because people definitely get fixed on that, especially when it's not their worth and they're like, well, so-and-so gets paid exactly this amount, so I want to get exactly this amount. And then it's like, well, no, you're not negotiating. It's just like wishful thinking. And you might yeah. you might pass yeah, up yeah, an yeah. opportunity that you shouldn't have. So, yeah, I get that. Okay, all right. So to get into the job search, right? So somebody's listening to this show um, and I heard you talk about this on your podcast. I think you were talking about LinkedIn profiles and and kind of what makes a good one. But I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of similar, at least for me, I find it similar to like CVs, resumes, LinkedIn profiles, essentially, except for how they get found. They all have similar content, right? 
And I've seen a lot of, um, I say bad CVs, they weren't bad. They just were, you know, you could have written nothing on the page and it would have had the same impact as what you wrote on the page. So it's not good. Um, and I've seen LinkedIn profiles where it just says, you know, worked at this company five years. That's it. I don't know what you did. I don't know, like, like, what are you proud of? Like any of that yeah. stuff, right? So if, if somebody's coming to you and they're saying, you know, they're, they're starting their job search now and either they're new at development. So to your point, you know, they've just built the next, you know, Nashville music booking app because they, that's what they want to do. Or, you know, they're, they're three years along. Like how do the people start looking at their CV or resume or LinkedIn and figuring out like, this is what I want to present. Like how, how do they get to that? Man, I mean, we could break down resume LinkedIn stuff for the next like Hour, yeah, I figure so, this will be like a whole seminar. So, you know, you you can go, you can give the cliff notes as best as you can. Yeah, I'll give the cliff notes. I think the big thing is um, I am only one recruiter. I am only one person. I have one small piece of advice, right? So I always want to preface this because everything I say is like you, Rob, you could call another recruiter friend like after this session with you and I. You're like, well, here's what Taylor said. What do you think? And like that recruiter is going to be like, well, he's dumb. He doesn't because, so, you know, so like it's very subjective. But in my opinion, a few things. One, at the end of the day, resume is where it's at. If you're going to spend any money on the job search and, when I, and you're like, what do you mean? As in, I think you need a really good headshot. I think good headshots go a really long way, especially on the freelance side of things. Like people, people want to know what you look like and make sure that like you're approachable and stuff. Headshots are re- incredibly important. I would pay money. I would recommend if you do not have a good headshot, go get a good headshot. It's not uber expensive. You can do it for, you know, I think in the US, depending on the, like 150, 250 bucks US just for like one or two headshots, but it's worth it. The second thing I would do is put so and pay for a resume service if you want to. Now, I have my resume template on my website, I give out a lot of free content, but People still reach out and want me to look over their resumes. And so but what I will tell you, like, you know, and, and the biggest issue I, I, I hear is like, well, but I have a LinkedIn, Taylor. I understand. But we as a society are not yet saying, hey, send me your LinkedIn. People still want the resume. And so the resume is where you need to put your most focus. Your resume needs to be, um, in my mind, no more than three pages. I think if you're if, if as long as you're not starting out your career, it needs to be more than one page. Now, this is a very divisive topic, Rob. I'm sure you've seen on Twitter when I tweet about this stuff. I get a I get a bunch of people coming at me with a lot of different thoughts. The re- here's the reason why I give people permission to write more than a one page resume is because most people do not know how to write efficiently to communicate details enough on one page. Listen, if you're a really good writer and you feel like you can talk about the project you did. Or, or the projects you did, what technologies you, you've leveraged, how many users, how many transactions. We'll, we'll, we'll get to some of this stuff in a second. But if you can tell me all that stuff in one page, do it. But most likely you cannot. And two pages is fine. Even three pages is fine. Do I look at a third page? No. But here's what three pages does is three pages shows that you're senior. Yeah. I, I was going to say that I don't even look at two pages, but two pages shows me I don't need to look at the second page. So. Correct. So here, so here are some tips and tricks for resume writing, which still carries over to LinkedIn. The resume needs to be very robust in regards to um, the technologies. And again, this is coming out of from a developer-centric background, but it's still it, there's still some things that are very applicable in other industries. Get quantitative. Give me numbers. Right. Don't say and stop with the fluff words like a great communicator. Right. The best way to write that is led 
five teams across England in multiple locations with each team having five members. That tells me you're a good communicator, not I'm a great communicator, right? So like, give me numbers, you know, if you're a developer and you work like in a high transaction environment, like a credit card or like FinTech or like, I mean, blockchain, NFT, whatever, give me like the, give me the, the user information. So I worked, so like, for example, like I worked on an application that averaged 10 million users and had 3000 transactions a second. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Right. And like, I need to know that. And I'm going to call you immediately because that's really impressive. Um, I, I think your resume and your LinkedIn, but mainly your resume, I'm focusing on the resume right now because you'll see why here in a second when I talk about LinkedIn, but your, your resume, you need to have comparative stats too. Right. So if you excelled at something, give, give me, give me an example. Right. So let's say, and this is how it works for other industries. So let's say um, I'm a server at a restaurant and let's say that I hit my sales goal um, 15 nights in a row and the next closest person could only do it five nights in a row. So that, so, so that tells me as, as an employer that, wow, this guy is three X the production as anybody else. Like that's huge. Right. And that's what people don't do. Right. If people are serving tables at a restaurant, they put on the resume, make sure the customer is happy. Make sure the customer gets food on time clean table after dinner, right? But what you need to be putting is like sales goals. Like, you know, if you have contests at your restaurant, right? Because restaurants kind of do contests to sell things, right? And you like exceeded, like tell me all that stuff. Um, and then in a nutshell, your resume needs to be a blend of functional speak, like normal talk and technical talk. Um, and then your LinkedIn, and this is why we're not going to spend a ton of time on this conversation with LinkedIn. Your LinkedIn is a summary of your resume. Now, again, I've had a lot of people agree, disagree with me on this. When I go to your LinkedIn, all I want to see is one or two or three bullet points, what you did, what tools you used, and that's it. So that's, so that's kind of everything in a nutshell. <laughs> but like I said, um, check out my website for my template and all that stuff. And that, that should help. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I, so I have a couple of points on what you said. So one, I the the thing that you said about um, people put on their CV. One of the things that I always use, or the one that I've th that I've seen a lot, and I used to do it. And this is like before I was in tech. You know, when I was just out of school, is you put hardworking, and it's like, well, who's going to write that they're not hardworking? So you could just cross that off right now because that is not a plus. Proficient with Microsoft Word. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. All right. Well, then tell me how many words. I mean, like, yeah. Tell me like, something. Like, yeah. Yeah, tell me like a really like give me like a give me an example of a really difficult feature in Microsoft Word that you can do. Like that would be a better thing than saying proficient at Microsoft Word. Yeah, 100%. And then what you said about the table servings like, you know, serve the ta like make sure the customer's happy all that. Essentially, it just sounds like they're writing the job spec and not like their CV because that's the same thing it would say on the job spec, make sure the customer's happy, wipe down the tables. It's like, well, is is that that's not a skill um but yeah i agree with i agree with all of those points like uh, for linkedin i have bullet points um and i, I would say like cv is really important i get i always get found by linkedin that's just how i get found but every time i talk to a recruiter and they have a role and i'm like yes i'm interested the first thing they ask me afterwards is right can you send me a cv and i'm glad you brought that statement up that's why it's so important to have a linkedin i mean having a linkedin not having a linkedin now is like not having a website as a business these days right it just is it, it just it just gives a weird vibe also too you're not discoverable so like i interviewed a guy on 
my show this week and and he said it so beautifully. He was like, the reason why you put out the reason why you put out content as a job seeker is to be discoverable. It's the same reason why you have a LinkedIn. Recruiters use LinkedIn a ton to find you and then they ask you for your resume, which is the thing that gets you in the door. That's why your LinkedIn and your resume have to be really, really good because both work in tandem. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I would also say to that point, it just crossed my mind that so I always get found by LinkedIn. I assume because you type in Android developer, I come up somewhere on that search, right? But then when they ring me up, they always ask me questions that are answered on my LinkedIn, which tells me that they didn't read my LinkedIn. They just found me. Correct. They might have read like yeah. the first sentence and be like, "Oh, he's quite senior. He sounds like he's good for the job." And then that's it. They didn't. They didn't sit there and scroll through it and be like, "Oh, he has these things." They just ring you up or they send you an email. So yeah. Def, definitely good to um to have both. Okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then so just moving on from that a little bit. So the interview process, right? And again, I know this could be like a whole seminar, so we don't have to dig into every single part of it. But I always get so I've I've had interviews, or I should say I've conducted interviews where I'm asking questions and you get like a like a yes or a no, which is, you know, that's just it doesn't it, it kind of puts you off whether regardless of whether they're answering the question well or not, it kind of puts you off because it's like, well, this is not conversational. And part of what you, as you mentioned, like part of the development process is communication. You have to have those skills. And then the other thing is I definitely feel like people undersell themselves massively. So like you'll go, I've been in interviews with interviewers who I would consider they're bad interviewers, right? They ask me bad questions. And if I only answered the question that they asked me, they would walk away thinking this guy's not got the skills that we need. Because you didn't ask me if I have the skills that you need. You asked me, you know, whatever questions you Googled for interviews. Um, and and so in that scenario, like I'm experienced enough to know, right, the guy's asked me this question, it's irrelevant, I'll answer it and then I just go off on a tangent and list, you know, whatever was on their job spec, I have all of these things. But for people that are listening, and again, like the Cliff Notes version, like what would be your best tips for going into the interview and like trying, I, I, let's say we're not talking technical, we're just talking, you know, that first stage, you know, you, you've yeah. got 30 minutes to talk to someone, they ask you about your CV, that kind of stuff. Like what would be your, your best tips for that? Yeah, a few, just a few tips, very basic one-on-one building block type things that everybody needs to do. One, research the company you're interviewing for. Um, but then like also like research the company and then also, I, and I just thought about this idea. So Rob, this is a, this is a, this is a podcast special. Try to tie in something in your life and why you would be passionate about that company. Right. So for example, like, um, you know, I'm recruiting for a clinical trials company. Right. And like this one guy who interviewed, he was so passionate about their mission because if it wasn't for clinical trials, his, his dad would have died or something like that. Dad or brother or somebody in his family would have passed away because clinical trials is the one thing that saved them. So like, that's huge. Right. Like, so researching the company, research the people you're interviewing for. Right. So like, um, I, I had, um, we hired a guy for my team internally at Vaco, um, uh, earlier this year. And like, he went through all of our LinkedIn's and came up with at least one question, um, regarding our history. And you know what it, and you know what it made me, it made me feel good. He was like, Taylor, I saw where you've been at Vaco for 10 years. Like what's made you stay there for 10 years. I'm like, Oh, I like that. That's good. And and so it shows that you're interested. I so I think research the company, research the people, and then finally like bring some dang energy. I can't tell you the amount of people that interview and they just like 
sleepwalk through it. Like bring some energy, be yourself, like be excited to have the opportunity to learn about a company, learn and meet new people. Like be excited and be intentional and come with questions. So that's the final thing. Come with questions. Um, you know, the, it's such a turnoff when, when a company goes, all right, Taylor, thanks for interviewing. Do you have any um, questions for us? And they, and, and I go, no, like that basically shows, nope, I'm not really interested in this role. So thanks though. Like that's, and, and again, you, you may be super, super excited and they may have answered all your questions. You, you need to come up with some questions. And so that's what I'm saying. Walk into the interview with five to 10 questions to make sure that you have something to ask at the end of the interview. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with that because because I'm I'm so I've been in interviews where I genuinely have questions. It makes it easy. And I've been in interviews where it's like, I've done this before. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm not that interested. I kind of just want to get paid. And they but you can't say you can't to your point. If they if they ask you, have you got questions? You're like, nope. The, that's the the next person who has questions. Not be like, no. So like, just make them up. Ask them. You might know the answer. Just ask. Uh, make up a question and ask it to them. Anything. Engage. Just engage. Yeah. Yeah. Engage. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Quick interruption. If you're a fan of the show, I'd love it if you could leave it a positive rating review in your podcast app of choice. Contrary to what you might have heard, it doesn't actually help the show be discovered, but it does provide the social proof that it's a show worth listening to. So if you have 30 seconds to spare, I'd really, really appreciate it. And now back to the show. I had written down a question here, which is, I think you've kind of spoke to this, but how much of an interview do you think in terms of like being successful is like skill and qualification versus confidence? Ooh, that's a great question. Oh man. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to throw in another one, Rob, you ready? Skill, confidence, and timing. Oh, okay. So I have to write this down. Hold on real this, quick. I'm gonna I, write I was going to say, so I just saw this question. I was like, that's a great question. I must've wrote this down like three weeks skill, ago. Skill, confidence, timing. So I think, so uh, I've talked to so many hiring managers. You need at least 50% of the skills to get in the door. So I would, I'm going to pull that down since there's three categories. I'm going to pull that down just for our conversation purposes as 40% skill. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like 40, I I would say 40 to 50%, like you have to have the skill or at least in the ballpark, right? So if you're a one-year developer applying to a mid-level, you know, it depends. If they're asking for three years and you have one, go ahead and give a shot, right? Go ahead and give a shot. If they're asking for five, I don't know. It's up to you. I would say try it. Who knows? But also that may not be enough. So skill, 40%. I would say confidence. Oh, this is tough. This is a great question. I've never been asked this question. So 60% left. I hate to just have a cop-out answer and go 30% confidence, 30% timing. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's, I think it's 40% timing and 20% confidence. I really think, I don't know. I, I'm probably going to DM you tomorrow and be like, oh, I'm going to change my answer. <laughs> But at the end of the day, yeah, at the it. end of the day, here's the deal. I think, I think the lion's share is skill, right? If we want to go 50% and 25-25, but I think timing and confidence are weighted the same. And I think if I were to have to give a nod, if I would have to give a nod to one area, I think it's timing because that's why I'm so passionate about people checking back in with the people they have met during the interview process. Like if you interviewed at company XYZ in June and it's been in September, like you need to check back in with company XYZ that you interviewed with in June because they may have an open spot and they just, they just forgot to reach out to you. Yeah. Right. Right. Timing. 
but also be confident, but also, <laughs> but also be confident. I like, I like that you threw timing in there. I, I always feel like at, at least from, from the ones that I've conducted, it's like, a, a, to your point, the lion's share is skill. If you don't have the skill, you could be as confident as you like. You're still not going to get the gig. But at the other, and the other sense, if you don't have the confidence, then I'm probably not going to realize that you have the skill or, or I'll be like, well, you're not the right fit for this team because we don't want people on the team that are just going to be like, can you do this? Yes. We want people on the team that are going to be like, can you do this? Why do you want me to do that? Maybe I should, why do you not want to do this way? So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, time, timing is definitely very important. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, and then I, I wrote down, um, something that I'm also going to ask, cause I heard you talk about this on, and one of your podcast episodes, which is what is your opinion regarding code tests? I'm, I'm of the opinion. So you, you have different types of code tests, right? You'll go to a company, you interview 30 minutes. They're like, right, cool. Rob, here's a, here's a take home test. And it takes, you know, four hours to complete. Nine hours. Yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm a huge, like not a fan of those things for, for two reasons. One, you're asking me to do it for essentially no reason. Cause I don't know if I'm going to get called back once I'm done. And two, so like you're, you're costing my time. You're not paying me for that. And two, I could be a terrible developer. I could probably Google the answer, give you the right thing, and it tells you nothing about my skill. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you have interviews, which I'm quite a big fan of now, which are like the live ones. So, you know, 45 minutes, here's a, here's a challenge, just go do it. You don't have to get it right. You know, there's not like a perfect score. I just want to see how you think. I want to see how you approach problems. I'm going to ask you questions. You need to be able to tell me the reason you did this is because. And then you obviously have gigs where you have no tests and they you get in there and they're like, oh, Rob doesn't know what he's doing. And it's like, well, if you had a test, you might find out. So so kind of like, what what are your thoughts on those? And, and do you have a preference or do you encourage your your hiring managers in, in their interview process to pick one or the other? Great question. I So I think I think all hiring managers, if you're going to assign a code test, I think it has to be during the interview because people don't have time to knock out five code tests. Like if you're sending a code test, four other companies are also sending code tests. So if you want, so if you want the advantage, just work it into your interview. I think, I think that's what needs to be done. I think, um, I think I, so, so the best, so I tweeted this yesterday and I had some pushback on it, which is fine. Again, everything I say is subjective. So I understand like, and it's crazy how many people come at me when I'm just trying to help, but that's another conversation for another day. But, um, I, I would recommend the hour phone call, like our phone call and, and companies, if you listen to this, you got to sell the, your own company. Like you got to sell the opportunity because uh, candidates, job seekers right now are getting called from all across the country, like wherever they're located, right? Even the world, even the world. I mean, we have a developer right now that's getting um, interviewing for a startup out of Australia and he's in the U S right. So like you, you have to sell your company, but you also have to talk to the person too. So that's the first conversation an hour long. That should be enough. The second interview needs to be two hours. The first hour is a live coding kind of just walk through pairing type situation and then kind of an hour of debriefing, also some other tech questions, maybe a panel interview. And then, and then the third round is just whether it's upper leadership sign-offs saying, hey, or just maybe a follow-up, and then you're done. And then you're done. So three rounds is kind of what I like. And then I, I think companies who want an edge in the interview process need to do the, inter, need to do the code stuff during the interview. Not take them. See, I knew when I read that first tweet of yours that this, this like, I, I like this guy because well, basically your answers are exactly the things that I like. So that's also yeah. probably very yep. subjective. Someone's listening to this. They're like, no, it should be a four hour coding test. And, you know, we should have two weeks of debrief, but whatever, whatever. 
Um, so, okay, cool. So from, so, so for people that are in, they're in the job search right now, whether that's, you know, to do with their interview process or how they put, uh, like, is there anything that you see people don't do? And you're like, well, if you, if you, this would make a difference if you just did X. So I I think people, and again, I mean, I talk, I think you have to get comfortable starting to post to LinkedIn. Mm, Okay. Like, like I I think you're gonna start anywhere, especially if you're in freelance or contracting, like you need to be posting every day. Like Rob, the fact you have this podcast as a freelancer is brilliant, right? Like, like it's a great business development tool. You can bring people on, you can go and target clients that you want to work for. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, I think everyone needs a podcast. Um, I mean, let me rephrase that. I don't think everyone needs a podcast. I think if you are in sales in some way, shape or form, you need some sort of podcast. Um, but I think even just blogging, um, what you're learning, um, is great. I think one of the ways my communication, um, I've really improved my communication skills over the last year because I've blogged. You start to really learn what works, what doesn't from a writing perspective, which really transfers over in your community, verbal communication. The one thing that's really challenged me to communicate better is Twitter. I tell you what, you actually want to get better at communicating and being very precise, start tweeting every day and try to cram everything in 280 characters. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. It's real tough. Yeah. So um, I think every individual should post at least once a day on LinkedIn. Um, I think people should be networking way more than they do, sliding into DMs. Um, and, and, there, and, and when I say, all I'm saying is one post a day on LinkedIn to be discoverable by others. Because LinkedIn and TikTok right now are the only two platforms where you could have zero followers and like go nuts. I bet also too, you didn't wake up today thinking that I would... <laughs> compare LinkedIn to TikTok, but here we are. So for me, like quite frankly, the engagement is so good on TikTok that if I was a job seeker, I would start posting things about you and how you work and how you operate and your strengths and your weaknesses in these small videos and just start posting them to TikTok because I think you're going to be found by other people in tech and you could get a job. I think you could get a job on TikTok if you post every single day about you. So, but, but, so that's what people don't do. People just sit at home you know, it's, it's kind of the whole joke about like finding your true love, but you're an introvert and you never go outside. So you just hope they break into your house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's the same thing. If you're not putting out content and you're not putting yourself out there, whether it's you're not being involved in the community, you're not going to meetups, you're not going to conferences. If you're not doing any of that, how are people going to find you? And so that's what I would do. Also, Rob, I wish I got accepted to NDC London. Because I would have been out in London in January, we could have hung, but I I did not get accepted. So I mean, there's always next time. But if you ever are in London, then definitely hit me up. Like, yeah, north of London, I can get the train in like an hour. I'll be there. So I love it. Awesome. I love um, it. And then and then final question, which is kind of the the um well not the final question, but the inverse of that, which is is there anything that you see people doing that you just like just stop, just please don't do that. It's, it's hurting you. It's not being helping. negative in the job search. There's a lot of people, listen, I get it. The job search is grueling. It's tiring. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. All of those things. I I get it. I get it. You're at your wits end, all of it, but you, you can't, you can't complain in public. You like have some friends, right? Like have some friends that you can just like yell and scream in private. But I see so many job seekers that tweet, like I see job seekers tweet negatively about interviews they just had. I'm just like, no, like that's not good. There's there's um there there's one individual I can think of. There's a Slack channel for software developers in Nashville and 
this individual is, is just negative all the time. Like negative about recruiters, negative about hiring managers, negative about the, the job search. It's like, no one's going to want to work with you. And so I, you, you have to be positive. You ha- even if, even if you are not, I'm not saying be fake, but I'm saying don't put that stuff in writing out in public. Yeah, I agree with that. And then final question, which is, and I ask this to everyone that's a developer, so I'm going to ask it to you because you obviously talk to a lot of them, which is what do you think separates an okay developer from a great developer? I think communication, the ability to work with people. Because like really at the end of the day, listen, anybody can learn React. You can go on Google. You can take some Kotlin courses and you're good to go. But it's the people who can communicate and work well with others and be kind and just be an overall outstanding human being. Those are the ones where their career just skyrockets. Awesome. Okay. And then final, final question. And this is your job. This is your um, opportunity to get salesy if you want to, which is um, where can people find you online? Like stuff that you've got going on, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, first off, Rob, thank you again for having me. Um, This has been great. You ask, you've asked amazing questions, um, which makes it a lot more enjoyable. Um, So if, if people want to reach out to me, um, the best way to do it is uh, really through LinkedIn, uh, find Taylor Dessen, D-E-S-S-E-Y-N, um, t- I, Twitter a ton, which all my social media handles, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of it is T Dessen. Again, that's T-D-E-D as in David, E-S-S-E-Y-N. If you want to email me, taylor at vaco.com. It's pretty simple, V-A-C-O.com. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how you can find me. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm taking note that you didn't sell anything there. So people are going to have to go and find stuff that you're selling. <laughs> yeah, you're right. All right. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll still listen. I would say hiring managers, if you want to work with a recruiting agency that takes a human approach and, and, and that doesn't send you a lot of garbage resumes and can get technical with you and understand your business needs. Like I, my, me and my team are your people. My team is six people of industry veterans. We aren't quantity focused. You're not going to get 10 resumes from us a week. You may get one of a, you may get one resume for one job, but that one resume is you're going to hire. And so um, if that's the type of partnership you want, reach out to us. Okay. Awesome. So that, that's a wrap from me. Um, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask? I, I just want to, I just want to leave with this. Be fearless. The, the, the job search is all about asking, right? Asking for an intro, asking for a random conversation, asking for an interview asking for more money, asking for follow-up. It's all about asking. And so I, I, I would just, I would, I want to encourage everybody who, who listens to this episode to go out and be fearless and go out and be your own champion because no one is going to go out and be your own champion more for your career than you. Huge thanks to today's guest, Taylor Desson. Make sure you check out Taylor on his website at taylordesson.com or you can find him on Twitter at T Desson and again on Instagram at T Desson. And you can connect with him on LinkedIn. Just search Taylor Desson on LinkedIn. And as always, all of those links, as well as everything discussed in today's episode are in the show notes. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or fellow developer. And if you really want to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash donate. And if you don't want to miss future episodes of the show, make sure you follow or subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast. Podcast.